Hello, and welcome to the EPC podcast, where we delve deeper into EU affairs and connect the dots between politics, policies, and people. My name is Rebecca Kostanos, and I'm the head of communications at the European Policy Center. Last week, the Commission launched its long-awaited new pact on migration. After years of gridlock, Vice President of the Commission Skinas and Commissioner Johansson seemed confident that this set of proposals can bridge the differences between member states and deliver real progress on EU migration reform. To make sense of the new pact and assess its strengths and weaknesses, I talked to Marie de Zomer, head of the EPC's Migration and Diversity Program, Olivia Sonberg-Diaz, EPC Policy Analyst, and Matthias Luke, Senior Researcher at the Kiel Institute for the World Economy and Coordinator of MEDAM, Mercato Dialogue on Asylum and Migration, one of the EPC's project partners. I asked them what's different about this proposal, the chances that it will lead to actual reform, and whether the new solidarity mechanism can convince the more skeptical member states. start with you. Um, during the press conference of the launch of the new pact, Commission VP Skinas was very adamant that this was a, a new proposal. But what is exactly new about this pact? The proposal is not fully new. We see a lot of uh, elements returning, for instance, Dublin and, and um, uh, other files that previously had made a lot of progress already, such as on reception conditions. But there certainly are new elements. And in my view, the most important new element is this mechanism of uh, flexible but mandatory solidarity. Uh, I agree with uh, Marie's statement. Just to come in, uh, I think the, the new solidarity mechanism is likely to be the most controversial and it's also the most novel uh, new element that the pact introduces. Um, there's one other small element that I think is quite interesting, um, and that is the introduction of a pre-screening procedure for anyone arriving irregularly into the EU or anybody who's rescued at sea. So before uh, you would move on to an asylum procedure or return procedures or potentially uh, accelerated border procedures, you'd have a, a brief screening and then everybody would be channeled into one of those different procedures. Um, it's, it's interesting because this has been one of the very controversial elements, whether these border procedures would be mandatory or not in the past few years. So very interesting to see that in the new pact, these would be mandatory for certain groups, but not for others. Matthias, Medan also does a lot of research on migration from the perspective of uh, countries of origin. So maybe you can answer this question. The pact has a very heavy emphasis on the importance of working together with third countries. But what does that mean in practice? So what this really means is that there is an understanding now that the pact needs to achieve a fair division of responsibilities for, for protecting refugees at two levels. First of all, of course, within the European Union, that is among the EU member states and between the EU member states and the Commission, but also very importantly, between the EU member states and the rest of the world, um, non-EU countries that are hosting refugees. And the pact really uh, tries to achieve these two things. And, and that is, I think, the main new element here. The Commission and member states have been saying for years now that the cooperation of third countries is crucial to manage migration. So how does this pact change or update that approach? 
with the pact, there is, it's now very clear that achieving smooth returns and readmission in their, their home countries of third country citizens who are not allowed to stay in the European Union, for example, um, non-recognized refugees, um, asylum seekers that have been turned down, it's sort of clear this is absolutely crucial for the pact. And, and this, of course, requires the full cooperation of um, partner countries. And that has been um, put up front um, everywhere in the pact. Um, and it's, it's a, a strong language that says we need to, to be singing from the same page. Um, we have to have um, a clear message in our relations with, with partner countries that return and readmission is not optional to, to misquote um, President von der Leyen. And this would affect policy areas like development assistance, visa facilitation, mm. scholarships, legal labor migration. It's all there, but um, um, achieving smooth return and readmission is, is up front here. Another comment VP Skinos made was that this pact would mean the end of Dublin. Is this true, Marie? And uh, if so, in what way? I would say it isn't true. Uh, Dublin is still very much there. I think why they want to pronounce that it's the end of Dublin is because we've had such difficult negotiations reforming Dublin in the past, and perhaps there's a, a psychological connotation with Dublin uh, that uh, the Commission might be happy to get rid of. But essentially, Dublin is still there. Um, so some of the rules have altered a little bit. Um, as you know, Dublin prem or puts forward that if there is no prior link with a certain member state, the state that carries responsibility for an asylum seeker is the uh, state of first arrival. This principle still holds. So it's still mainly the state of first arrival that is the responsible state. Uh, but what is interesting and what are slight alterations to the earlier Dublin rules is that what constitutes links to another member state uh, those kind of links have been broadened up a little bit. So the definition of relevant family members uh, has become broader. So now if an asylum seeker has a sibling in a member state, uh, that is a link with that member state. Or if an asylum seeker has a diploma uh, from that member state, that is also a link with the member state. And uh, with this pact, the commission uh, claims that there will be no more uh, Morias. And do you think that they can fulfill that promise? Because, Mariana Olivia, in, in one of your first reactions to the pact, you mentioned that the, the hotspots uh, approach, which led to appalling reception conditions in the first place, seems to more or less remain intact. Indeed, this is the million euro question. Um, it's, it's a very difficult question um, and the devil is in the details. And I, I think, to be honest, it's going to take months to fully understand the implications of the proposals. Uh, but there are important things to watch out here. So I can tell you what some of the risks are. The main risks concern the accelerated border procedures and the pre-screenings that the new pact introduces. Now, these proposals are very similar to the approach that has been tried in the Greek islands and the hotspots approach. The idea in both cases is to quickly assess asylum applications and contain people in one area while you process them. And the problem in practice is that it has proven very difficult to evaluate asylum applications quickly or to conduct returns quickly for that matter, especially at the EU's external borders. You have to determine a person's identity and their nationality. You need to see if they have a right to asylum, ensure access to legal aid, to interpreters, have a right to appeal. These things are very difficult to do in short timeframes. So this meant in the case of Greece, 
that people arriving in the Greek islands in 2018 were being given interview dates for 2023. So it's mm. not exactly a fast processing. What this means for the new pact is that where border procedures are used, the moment you have a bottleneck in processing these cases or a backlog or more arrivals, you may be trapping people in limbo and in living conditions that were not intended for prolonged stays in the first place, that are not up to EU reception standards. And this, of course, can escalate very quickly into a humanitarian emergency. And that's what we have seen in the Greek islands. There's a second question here, which is what conditions would apply uh, during border procedures exactly? And here we need to look at the proposals very closely. But the risk is that the new pact could allow states to apply detention during the border procedures. And in practice, this could lead to large scale long term detention. So those are some of the risks that we're going to be looking out for. And a lot of NGOs have also criticized the pact, saying that beefed up border procedures will lead to more pushbacks. Do you agree with that assessment? Um, this is another another area where indeed there are some risks involved. Uh, in short, where border procedures have been used in the past, they have led to significantly higher rejection rates. So in some cases, you've gone from 60% of asylum applications being rejected to 90% uh, being rejected. So this suggests that stricter standards may be applied uh, or that reduced safeguards may be unfairly changing the outcomes. So some NGOs who monitor these procedures have warned that claims were being superficially assessed, that interviews were not done properly, that too much weight was being given to an applicant's nationality, things like that. Uh, so yes, it could mean that people are wrongly denied asylum and return to countries where they face persecution. Uh, conversely, there is a positive element in the new pact, which is a new border monitoring obligation, uh, which would hopefully prevent pushbacks. Uh, but then the question is going to be uh, who is in charge of the monitoring and how much transparency and accountability uh, there is over that monitoring. I want to turn now to um, the new solidarity mechanism in the new pact because um, that's one of the you know major changes. So solidarity is still very much mandated, but it can come in many forms. Instead of accepting refugees, member states could, for instance, help out with returns. But what if member states disproportionately opt to sponsor returns? And um, how will each act of solidarity be weighed against another? I can't imagine that five returns equals five relocations. Um, so indeed, this, this flexible element is, is uh, the key element in the solidarity mechanism that is being proposed. And there are actually three uh, ways in which member states can contribute, either via relocation, as you said, via returns, or through operational support. Uh, the pact makes it clear that if too many member states choose operational support, uh, the Commission could step in, according to the proposal that is now on the table, uh, to change the balance again, so that there is also enough um, investment going into the question of return and relocation. Uh, indeed, that doesn't answer the question, what if everyone chooses return, uh, to be seen how it work, would work out in practice. But important to take into consideration here is that when a member state becomes responsible for returning a certain amount of people and does not manage to do so within eight months, uh, and even within four months in the case of crisis situations, that member state is obliged to take on uh, those people and transfer them to, their, to its own territory, those people that it wasn't able to return. Okay, I, I want to zoom in on that last part. According to official EU figures, only a third of people whose asylum claim is rejected is eventually returned. 
and that will leave a lot of people in limbo. So would the country that offered to take care of the return also be responsible for housing these individuals on its own territory? And maybe this is con somewhat controversial, but isn't that just another form of relocation? So indeed, the member state that, that would take on these people, would the idea would be that uh, the return process would be continued uh, from the territory in line with the current um, provisions of the returns directive. Uh, so the state would have certain obligations vis-a-vis uh, -vis those people. Um, an interesting way of phrasing is this not another way for location. I, I believe you could look at it that way. Um, I'm certain the Commission didn't think of it or, or wouldn't have had it in mind to look at it that way. Um, but it's yeah, it's not a wrong viewpoint, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if, if this was precisely the element uh, with which uh, states like the Visegrad states or Austria, who have opposed mandatory relocation, uh, that that is the element with which they will have problems during the negotiations. Yeah, because I think that that is the, the next big question. So the chances of this proposal going through in the council um, and, and whether or not this sort of solidarity a la carte convince some of the, the more quote-unquote difficult member states because we've seen that, um, as you said, the Visegrad countries um, pushed back a little bit um, the few days after the launch of the proposal and um, you know, Germany, France, and, and Italy have cautiously welcomed the proposal, but then other Southern European countries have also been been critical. Um, so, so how do you see that that happening in the Council? How do you see the the negotiations going? They will be difficult. That's that's certain. Um, and what the pact has really tried to do is to find a balance or an equilibrium between those uh, well between the opposing uh, points of view from on the one hand the Visegrad states and on the other hand uh, some of the southern states who really want mandatory relocation. And what's certainly not encouraging is that we see those division lines playing up again with the Visegrad states stating that the proposal uh, is, is too mandatory in some of its elements, uh, and some of the southern states, including Greece, stating, okay, but this is not mandatory relocation, so this is not in line uh, with our interests. To be seen how it plays out in the council, but certainly it will be difficult in itself, however, that is not necessarily a problematic element at this stage or surprising. The expectation was always that it would be difficult. So with the, the sponsorship of, of return system, do you think that the commission has maybe surrendered a little bit to the member states that are very critical towards migration and refugees in general? When looking particularly indeed at that um, proposal of um, trading of relocation for returns, I, I do believe the commission there sought to appease and, and respond to some of the demands of the Visegrad states. That doesn't mean that they will be satisfied, but I do think we can interpret um, the Commission's reasoning that way. Mm -hmm. Matthias, I, I may have a follow-up question for you here because um, so with the the returns the sponsorship return system, um, you know, member states will be responsible for for returning um, refugees or, or people whose asylum claim has been has been denied. Um, but does do all individual member states kind of have the have what it takes to negotiate with with external um, with third countries? The proposal is is quite clear that that individual member states may want to to negotiate with individual third countries where mm -hmm. they may have historic links or where they may want to invest in the relationship. 
Um, Commissioner Johansson was talking about Sweden having built up relationships, working relationships with Morocco that would include um, returns. So it seems the idea is not that everybody deals with all third countries, but that um, individual member states may want to specialize on working with particular third countries. And maybe in a small way that that can work, but uh, there are a lot of, of um, issues around what are the incentives for doing so and, and how would the, the cooperation work with the country that is actually hosting an asylum seeker and how, how does all of this look in practice? And, and this may be the bigger issue. The pact also mentions a new crisis mechanism to avoid the chaos at the height of the 2015 refugee crisis. Are there any promising elements there? Um, I, I think we have a mixed picture with the crisis mechanism. And again, it's going to require a very careful look. Uh, on one hand, as Marie mentioned, it uh, changes the way that the, that the solidarity mechanisms would apply in cases of crisis. Uh, it would allow states to derogate from certain provisions uh, in terms of uh, safeguards and in, in how asylum procedures are assessed. Uh, for example, it would expand the use of border procedures to people that would have as much as 70% uh, of asylum recognition rate that come from countries with 70% uh, refugee recognition rate. Uh, so there's some worrying and but also very interesting elements to look at there. Uh, one promising element is that it introduces a new concept of immediate protection. Uh, so this is very similar to legislation that already exists at EU level, but interestingly was never used in the context of 2015 uh, and 2016 and the rise of arrivals that we saw there. Uh, what this immediate protection would do uh, and what it looks like is it would allow member states to immediately grant a form of subsidiary international protection, so not quite refugee status, uh, to groups of people who may suffer indiscriminate violence, so for example, who come from countries uh, that are in the midst of a civil war or something similar. Um, so this would be valid for a year and you would suspend their asylum applications in the meantime, so they would still potentially be able to get refugee status in the future. Um, so this is very interesting. Uh, it remains to be seen whether it survives the negotiations and if it does, whether it would be used in practice. Uh, but I think that's certainly one promise element that somehow has slid through largely unnoticed uh, in the past few days. I might want to comment. Um, the way I read the pact uh, right now, it, it gives a lot of power to the European Commission to coordinate um, responses during the crisis. Essentially, the Commission can tell member states to, to accept people, um, to help with returns, um, to accept more people. Um, and, and with that very strong coordination, if everybody trusts the Commission to make the right decisions and, and, and does what they suggest, um, there could actually be a well-coordinated response to the crisis that we, we didn't have in 2015. So that is promising if it can be, be made to work with the right checks and balances. Maybe to come in on that, if I may, um, and I agree with Matthias that that could be promising, but one thing to really look out for here, I believe, is indeed whether that commission role will survive in negotiations. Uh, and I think it's far from certain that it will. I, I think there will be strong opposition by some member states to have the commission have such strong deciding powers on such critical elements of the new mechanism. And... In case this role doesn't survive, then I'm fearful about what the mechanism will entail in practice. In case the Commission doesn't keep its sort of driving seat position, but instead more power on what kind of are how many people and in what kind of uh, divisions um, or are distributed across the EU, 
what will prevent this or how will we make sure that the mechanism doesn't become another kind of um, form where we see the more ad hoc and bargaining elements and, and uh, dynamics that we saw uh, in the past or in the context of past relocation efforts, particularly after disembarkation of uh, ships uh, carrying out search and rescue in the Mediterranean. Overall, if you had to assess the pact in one sentence, what would you say? Thumbs up? Thumbs down? Um, if I had to boil it down to one sentence, I would say that the pact has left me with more questions than answers. Um, and maybe to, to unpack that, because it's, it's very mean to keep it down to one question. Um, I think there's a lot of big questions that we have to ask ourselves as we examine the new pact and indeed as it transforms in the course of negotiations. Uh, I think it's very clear that the Commission has you know, worked very hard, uh, to be fair to them, to put together something that most member states would be able to agree on to some extent. But the question is, first, will it be enough of a compromise to get all member states on board? Uh, and I expect it won't be without very difficult uh, and long negotiations. Another question is, will it work on practice? We've already raised a range of different different uh, operational questions that have already come to our minds in, in the last 48 hours. Um, and I don't think any of those have very neat or elegant answers. Um, then even if it is what Europe wants, is it what Europe needs? Because we've seen in the past few weeks, you know, we've had COVID-19, we've seen the fire in the Moria camp and the humanitarian emergency in the Greek islands. These things show that European asylum systems aren't really functioning as they should and that ambitious proposals are required. So will the pact rise to that challenge? Is it what we really need right now? Will you have enough safeguards? And how will it be enforced in practice? I don't think we have answers to all of these questions now. And that is going to determine whether the pact is, is really doing what it needs to do right now. Well, I, I would say the glass is half full, really. And I, I think it's half full because um, working with partner countries to manage migration to Europe, I think is going to be the key challenge. And the um, pact proposal makes um, important steps in that direction. But of course, there are all the, the open issues that we have discussed and the open questions. And, 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 and we really need the glass to be full um, for it to be, be, be palatable. And Marie, you have the final word. There's a lot of attention going out to the proposal these days for all the right reasons. Uh, but sometimes I feel that we should be more conscious of the fact that it's only a proposal and that we're likely going to see very strong changes as the proposal goes through, is discussed both in the Council and in the Parliament and to negotiate, renegotiate it in both institutions and then across both institutions. Yeah. Which is maybe a simple point to make, but I, I feel that the debate sometimes uh, these days is, is losing sight of it. As Marie de Sommer hinted at the end, this is just the beginning. We here at the EPC, together with our project partner, Medam, will continue to follow the debate on the new Pact on Migration. Check out our website, www.epc.eu, for publications and upcoming events. Tune in next time. Until then, over and out.